As I said earlier, we often think about spiritual gifts in connection with the more charismatic churches, or lots of people do, but the Apostle Paul spends three whole chapters specifically about spiritual gifts, and they're mentioned in other places. So seeing we're a Bible-based church, it makes sense for us to look at what the Bible says about spiritual gifts, and that's what we'll be doing today. In Hebrews chapter 13, we read this. May the peace of God equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight. God equips us to do the things he wants us to do. And he doesn't just equip us, he equips us with everything good for doing his will. He doesn't just tell us to do his things, he gives us everything we need for the job. Now, sometimes he might equip us in a special way for one specific ministry task. But generally, he equips us for the more sustained ministry by giving us spiritual gifts. The Bible teaches us about spiritual gifts as a way in which the Holy Spirit works God's will among his people. So, what is a spiritual gift? There are various definitions, and a lot of people talk about it without defining it at all, but those who do define it say something like this. Spiritual gifts are particular God-given abilities. They are given by the Holy Spirit and they are to express our faith in word and action. When we use them to minister to someone, they reveal the Holy Spirit at work. You'll notice that a spiritual gift is the Holy Spirit at work, both in giving or empowering the gift and also in the use of the gift. And with that, let's look at one of the main Bible passages about spiritual gifts. It's 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14. And let's start just with chapter 12, which Lorenz will read for us now. The Bible reading comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were Pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that not one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one, but part, 
sorry, the, indeed the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with great honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with great respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving great honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. In the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Here is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lorenz. Uh, most of you will know that what we call 1 Corinthians uh, is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the Christians in the Greek city of Corinth. We don't have their letter. Actually, it was in response to a letter by the Corinthians, and he has written this back to them. We don't have their letter, but we can work out what questions they ask by the answers that Paul gives. It's like in the Wednesday series where you've got that disembodied hand called Thing. Uh, he communicates just by wiggling his fingers because that's all he has. And we can't understand his finger wiggling, but we can tell what he supposedly said by how Wednesday and the others answer him. Same thing here. We can work out the questions from the Corinthians by Paul's answers to them. And one of their questions was this. What's more important in a worship service, prophecy or speaking in tongues? Now that's not necessarily a question we would have asked. Uh, Paul eventually answers them in chapter 14, but not until he spends chapters 12 and 13 laying out the foundation for his answer. And that foundation does have a lot to say for us. Chapter 12 introduces spiritual gifts. Paul says every Christian has a spiritual gift, maybe more than one. There are different gifts, but no gift is more important than any other gift. 
and no person is more important than anyone else because of which gift they have. Also, everyone has a way to serve others because God has equipped us for that by giving us all a spiritual gift or gifts. The last verse of chapter 12 makes no sense in our translation. Paul has just said that all gifts are equally important, so why would he now tell people to look for the greater gifts? I believe Paul is being sarcastic and the translators missed it. The NIV has an alternative translation in a footnote which makes sense, and it reads, But you are eagerly desiring the so-called greater gifts? I will show you a better way. And his better way is chapter 13, the famous passage about love. It's a favourite for weddings and it's fine for that purpose, but it's actually about how spiritual gifts are to be used. They are to be used in love. Without love, they are worthless. Now, Chris presented a sermon on chapter 13 just a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go over it at all again today. It's online on the church's website if you want to check it out later. Then finally, in chapter 12... Paul answers the Corinthians' questions about prophecy and tongues. Chapters 12 and 13 are important background, stuff they needed to know to understand his answer in chapter 14. In chapter 12, Paul starts by saying that there are lots of different kinds of spiritual gifts, but there is just the one Holy Spirit working in them all. Christians are to be united, unified, even though we have quite a range of different gifts given to us through the Holy Spirit. It may be that some Corinthian Christians were proud of their gift and put others down because they had different gifts. We still see this today, don't we? You hear of some churches who say that if you can't speak in tongues, you're some sort of second-rate Christian or worse. But gifts are not to be thought of like that. Gifts are about unity, not pride or dividing Christians into groups. Look what Paul says in verse 13. The, Christians seem to, the Corinthian Christians seem to have accepted that it made no difference whether they were Jews or Greek or if they were slaves or free people. And just the same, it makes no difference what gift a person has. They're no better and no worse than anyone else just because of which gift the Holy Spirit has given them. Interestingly, in verse 7, they're not called gifts, but rather manifestations. If you make something manifest, you make it visible or apparent. So, and this is really important, God's spirit is revealed to the world by people using the gifts he gives us. People cannot see the Holy Spirit. He's invisible. But they can see God's nature when Christians use the spiritual gifts he gives them to perform the ministries he has planned for them. When you engage in ministry using your spiritual gift, God is, in a sense, making his spirit visible to the world through you. What a privilege that is. In verses 8 to 10, Paul starts spelling out that there are many spiritual gifts, not just the two the Corinthians were obsessing about. And then very briefly, verse 11 says that the gifts are given to each person. That is, everyone has at least one spiritual gift, equipping us for the ministry God has planned for us. The Apostle Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So if you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift, maybe more than one. In the rest of chapter 12, 
Paul uses the analogy of a human body and its many parts. You may be familiar with this analogy, that the church is like a body, with Jesus at the head in charge of it all. But just because it's familiar, let's not skip over the important points it makes for us. Today I want to draw attention to three that we can focus on. Firstly, each and every person with our individual God-given gifts fits together as the body of Christ in this place. We are all important from his viewpoint. We are all necessary. We are all needed. We all have our part to play. It follows that it's important that we identify and understand the part or function that we have been given to perform. Stewardship is spoken about in Christian circles, using well what God has given us. It's usually used to talk about money, but it's not just about that. Amongst other things, stewardship is also about using well the gifts and abilities that God has given us, using them well in his service. That's good stewardship. As Peter said in that bit we just read, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Spiritual gifts are given to each of us so that we can use them to spread God's grace to others, to build them up and strengthen their faith. When we become a Christian, we become part of the family of God's people. We have roles and functions in this family, roles given by God and indicated to us by the spiritual gifts he has given us. We honour him best when we use those gifts faithfully and diligently in service of each other. And as we serve each other, we serve Christ. So that's Paul's point in verses 14 to 20. Starting at verse 21, Paul makes a second point, that no gift is better or more important than any other gift. It follows that no person is more or less important to God because of which spiritual gifts God has given them. Some gifts may seem more glamorous, some are more visible. But all are equally important from God's point of view and we should treat them all as equally important. It was important for the Corinthians to know that someone who could speak in tongues was not more important than some other Christian because of that. That was the Christian, Corinthian Christians. So what is it important for us to know here? I think it's a natural human reaction to give more honour to visible ministries, isn't it? A church I used to belong to had an excellent evangelist. Someone called her a pagan-seeking missile. Um, she was put on staff, she led outreach activities, and she was honoured by everyone as the church's gifted evangelist. And she was. She was fabulous at it. At that same church, we had a friend who people looked down on a bit for not being dedicated enough. She didn't fit the accepted, serious image of that particular church. Her husband was in a rock band. Now, that probably didn't help. Uh, and this lady somehow persuaded all the wives of the band members to come to her place for a six-week Christianity Explained course. How good is that? Only a few of us knew that she had done that. She didn't gain any recognition, but she was focused on serving Jesus. And in his eyes, she and the official evangelist were both equally important. So we need, to give more, we need to be careful not to give more honour to the more visible ministries. There's a lot of important ministry happening quietly in the background. The same goes for different types of ministry. People have a, great, have a tendency to give greater recognition to someone who stands up here speaking than to someone who spends evenings alongside a grieving friend. 
we give greater recognition to elders and deacons whom we see than to the elderly person who can't get around much but who prays long and faithfully every day. We have church members who help out of the dining room mission, but we do, do we honour them as much for their ministry as, I don't know, um, Sunday school? My point is this. Paul says that all, God values all ministries equally, and he values each Christian equally as they perform the min ministries he has given them to do, as he has gifted them to do. Visible ministries are just more visible, that's all. All ministries are important to God. Paul's third point in verse 26 flows on from that. Every person is important in the body of Christ, regardless of their spiritual gift. No one is to be left out when they need support, and no one is to be overlooked when they should be honoured. We are not to have a low view of any fellow Christian, because when they suffer in some way, our whole body of Christ suffers a little along with them. In the last few verses of chapter 12, Paul gives another list of gifts, like the one earlier in the chapter, but with additions. And don't worry where he says first, second and third and so on. Paul's not talking about any order of importance. I mean, he's just spent half the chapter saying how no gift is more important than another. It's worth pointing out that this list is not exhaustive. Paul's not trying to make a list of every possible spiritual gift. He's just giving examples. He has more examples in others of his letters too. So I think it's time now to look at what spiritual gifts are. Let's be clear, there is no place in the Bible that says this is all the spiritual gifts there are. There are examples in various places, particularly here and in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, plus a few other places, even some in the Old Testament. Some commentators and courses find a number of gifts in other places and other gifts as well. The list is in your printed worship booklet, so I won't read everything out. If you're watching online, the worship booklet is already available on the website. Because the gifts are all of equal importance, I've just put the list in alphabetical order. Uh, administration. Apostle. Now that's an interesting one. We think of the apostles as way back then. In the modern day, this is a person who is sent to new places with the gospel. Think of a missionary or a church planter. Discernment. Now this re re uh, refers to testing the spirits. 1 John 4 or verse 1 where he says to test the spirits, to identify the ones that are from God. That's discernment. Encouragement. Evangelism. Faith. Now we all have faith if we're a Christian. This refers to someone given a higher measure of faith by which special wonderful deeds are accomplished. Giving. Healing and miracles. Healing and miracles are used to authenticate ministry and the gospel message. That is their purpose. Helps, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy. Now, we th these days we think of prophecy about telling, uh, telling the future. But what did the Old Testament prophets do? They told the people, if you ignore God, this will happen. And then the people ignored God and that happened. That made it look like the prophets were foretelling the future. But all they were saying was what God would do if people ignored him. In the modern day, prophecy is the gift to reveal God's truth in ways that are timely and relevant, to build people up and to lead them to repentance and explain the consequences of following or ignoring God. It's really just like what the Old Testament prophets did. Next one is shepherd or pastor. This is small p, pastor. 
Uh, there are many pastors here. For example, our growth group leaders are pastors or have a pastoral role. Uh, teaching tongues, which is both speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues, which may be the same or different people. And finally on this list, wisdom. Whatever spiritual gift or gifts you have been given, they come with a warning label. Let me read from Romans chapter 12 from verse 3. Paul writes this. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to proportion to use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching, and so on. My point is this. God has given us a different measure of faith to each person, and we are to use our gift, quote, according to the proportion of one's faith, Paul says. The gifts are given in various measure. Take people with the gift of evangelism, for example. Billy Graham evangelised tens of thousands of people at a time for decades. Some people may address small evangelism meetings, while yet others may evangelise one person at a time. The spiritual gift is the same, but granted in different quantity, for want of a better word, we would say that some people are more gifted than others. And this is where the warning comes. John Piper writes this, The gifted are always in danger of pride. It was a terrible problem at Corinth. So Paul says in verse 6 that we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In other words, any distinction that sets you off from others in ability is owing to grace. That is, it is freely given, not earned or deserved, so you can't boast in it. End of quote. Spiritual gifts are given by God's grace, so there's nothing for us to boast about in them. We need to think seriously and humbly about whatever gift or gifts we have that God has given us and what, what measure of faith he has granted to us in using them in his service. Then we should exercise good stewardship of those gifts, using them in proportion to the measure of faith that God has granted to us, using them humbly and to his glory alone. So what spiritual gifts have you been given? We are not a huge church, so we're pretty dependent on each person using our spiritual gifts to serve and build up our church family and spread the word about Jesus to others. To be a Christian is to be a servant of Christ. There are no free rides. Look, there will be times when we need to be carried by others, and that's fine, of course. But that should be, in general, more the exception. Generally, we should be being good stewards and actively using our spiritual gifts. So how do you work out which spiritual gift or gifts you have been given? There are a few different ways to go about this. Firstly, of course, pray about it. And I've said on that, but yes, obviously. Secondly, if you're not sure what your spiritual gifts might be, or if you want to check what you think they are, these days there are short tests or assessments online that can help you identify your gifts. Typically they should identify a primary gift and one or two secondary gifts, but that may be different for you and that's okay. I've listed a few sites in the worship booklet as examples 
but I've only worked through one of them, so no guarantees, okay? Uh, most of them are free, but they ask for your details, in which case you can expect lots of spam emails from them as well. Importantly, when you finish the assessment, prayerfully consider how the result sits with you. Do you think it's right, or are you very unsure about it? The tests aren't everything. Another approach is to ask other people what spiritual gifts they see you using or think you have the potential to use. Husbands, wives and parents are obvious people to ask. Or your growth group as a whole, or your growth group leader, or other leaders in our church, or other people who know you well and see you in ministry, see you serving. A third approach that some suggest is not to get too hung up about labelling our gifts at first. Focus on building up others in their faith, supporting and encouraging them, and so on. And then consider the ways in which you find yourself most often doing that. That may point you towards your gifts. Are you passionate about a certain type of ministry? That may also be a pointer. There's also a negative approach. If you're serving in a formal ministry and you feel like a square peg in a round hole, or you find it a chore, or you're struggling to bring God's grace into the ministry, or you're just plain getting burnt out, these may be indicators that you're trying to serve in a way that is, is not one of your spiritual gifts. Maybe it's time to reassess. I must add a big caveat to all of this. Sometimes God may require us to serve him in a way in which we are not gifted. We will feel way outside our comfort zone. Then we must trust him to provide all we need in his service by his grace, even if it's not by a spiritual gift. As a very small example, long ago I was asked to give a talk, I think it was about the flute, to a, cho a church's boys group of primary aged boys. I didn't relate to primary school aged boys when I was one. Um, uh, but I trusted God about the talk and it went okay. Before I summarise, I think it's right that we touch on Paul's answer to the Corinthian Christians in chapter 14. You remember they asked, which is more important in a worship service, prophecy or speaking in tongues? By the way, just as an aside, have you ever noticed that chapter 13 about love starts with tongues and prophecy? 1 Corinthians 13, the very start of it. If I speak in human or angelic tongues and do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a king noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and so on, but do not have love, I am nothing. These two and all spiritual gifts have to be used in love. That's chapter 13. Back to chapter 14. Here's where it's important to remember that this was written as a letter. Paul spends much of chapter 14 about prophecy and speaking in tongues. That doesn't mean that he thinks these spiritual gifts are more important than the others. In fact, in chapter 12, he spelt out that no gift is more important than any other gift. Paul spends a lot of time talking about prophecy in tongues just because that's the question that Corinthian Christians asked him. We need to be careful that we don't blow up tongues and prophecy into something hugely important just because Paul says a lot about them here. He's just answering the question in detail. And remember, this is about prophecy in tongues within a worship service, like us here now. Here's what he says from verse 1 of chapter 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy, sorry. 
For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. <coughs> and from verse 18, I thank God that I speak tongues more than all of you, and yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul, it is most subtle, not. So why does he say this? He summarises it really well in verses 23 to 25. If the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Paul is simply saying that if someone walks into a church like ours where everyone is speaking in tongues, they'll think everyone's gone mad. Speaking in tongues may sometimes serve as a sign, but it's prophecy that will convict people of their need for God so that they will turn to Christ and be saved. That's what Paul's saying. For the rest of chapter 14, Paul gives pragmatic advice about worshipping God in an orderly way, including the point that if tongues are spoken, then the interpretation of what was said must follow. To summarise then, spiritual gifts are particular God-given abilities. They are given by the Holy Spirit and they are to express our faith in word or action. When we use them to minister to someone, that reveals the Holy Spirit at work. A spiritual gift is the Holy Spirit at work, both in giving or empowering the gift and in as we use the gift. People see God's nature when Christians use the spiritual gifts he gives them to, the, to perform the ministry he has planned for them. Everyone is given at least one spiritual gift. And we are to be good stewards of our spiritual gifts. How we use our gifts is a matter of stewardship. And we will have to give account to God for how we have made use of them, just like anything else God has given us stewardship of. The spiritual gifts God equips us with are to be used in love. Used any other way, they are worthless. The Apostle Peter puts it this way. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. And with that, let's pray. Holy Spirit, give us your wisdom and understanding as we seek to understand your plans for us and the spiritual gift or gifts you give us to empower us in your service. May you be revealed to the people we know through these gifts, used in love to the glory of God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.